This message was presented at the GYC to the End in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Um, so we've covered repentance. Um, if you're following along again in Steps to Christ, you're going to go to chapter 5, and it's a little tricky because that's the title of consecration. But if you read there, she's following right along in Acts chapter 2. So in Acts chapter 2, we're going to get our, our next step. Now, unfortunately, most people never take this next step. And this is profoundly important that you understand this. Most people settle for this idea of, of looking at what God has done for us. Yeah, I feel a need, coming to Him, conviction and repentance. But the Holy Spirit comes and brings sorrow for sin, but we go back to sin sometimes. And sometimes we do good for a little while, but we go right back to it. And I don't mean like, like sin, stopping sinning everything right now. I'm talking about individual sins that God brings to your life. And sometimes we return back to those we in, and sometimes we are, we're in for a little bit, right? And then we're back out. And why does that happen? And if we can take this next step, that will happen. And God can get onto something deeper in your life. And deeper and deeper and deeper we go until we don't even recognize who we are no more. Every, that's what this next step is all about that we've got to learn to take. God does His job, but we have a problem of not following through. And this step will help us to follow through. I call it really the ultimate form of repentance. And I like to liken it to a doorway. We've got to cross through this door to get to the other side where things are of a different character, where we can have new power, new understandings. We've got to go through it. I call it the Christian blind spot, the Adventist blind spot right here. And to introduce it, I like to introduce it with a, a opening line from my favorite novel. I love to go through it every Christmas time. It was called The Christmas Carol. And it has a perfect setup because in the novel it tells you that unless you understand this opening statement, you cannot understand the rest of the story. It makes no sense. And so in our story with the gospel, unless you understand this, the gospel doesn't work very well. I'll read to you the first line. Marley was dead to begin with. There is no doubt about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge's name was good upon chains for anything he chose to put his hand to. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. Our next step has everything to do with being dead. Romans chapter 6 says it this way. Paul has spent five chapters telling us about justification by faith. And in chapters 7 and 8, he's about to go into what it means to be sanctified, the process of it, how it happens, when it takes place. But chapter 6 is the pivotal doorway. It is right in the middle of his discussion between justified and sanctified. And you've got to go through chapter 6 to get to chapter 7 and 8. In fact, chapters 1 through 5 don't mean much until you've accepted chapter 6. In chapter 6, verse 2, he begins this very way. Romans chapter 6, verse 2. Verse 1, actually, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Being dead. That's why the title of this sermon is called Graveyard Dead. 
It's where the gospel has taken us. Listen to this. There is no safety for one who has merely a legal religion, a form of godliness. The Christian's life is not a modification or improvement of the old, but a transformation of nature. There is a death to self and sin and a new life altogether. You must experience a death to self and must live unto God. Self is not to be consulted. Pride, self-love, selfishness, avarice, covetousness, love of the world, hatred, suspicion, jealousy, evil surmisings must all be subdued and sacrificed forever. In other words, there must be a death of Curtis Damon Sneed. I have got to be rest in peace. I've got to check out of the old man. And we're going to look at that. So our next step on our wheel of faith is simply death to self. Now, the Bible is clear what that was supposed to be. In Romans 6, verse 3, we should have understood this when we was kids taking our Bible study lessons. And he tells us in verse 3, Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? That's right where Acts chapter 2 goes, very next, right? After you repent, then he said, be baptized. Baptism was supposed to primarily be, in its first function, death to self. In fact, when Jesus asked uh, John, uh, Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he tells him, you know, what we got to do to receive eternal life. He says, you must be born again. Well, the only reason why one would need to be born again is if there's a death to self. It makes such sense. If you're dead, if you've been put to death, then you need a new life and be born again. And Romans takes us right there. There must be a death to self. And here's where Christianity is greatly confused. When I was baptized, no one told me I was going to a spiritual funeral. Not a word about that. No one told me, hey, young man, you're going to die. You know what they told me? I remember coming to the preacher saying, look, I'm, I'm 18. I, I, I want to get married. I want to join the church. What do I need to do? He says, well, you need to be baptized. I'm like, okay, well, what do I got to do to be baptized? Here, take these 14 Amazing Facts Bible studies. And I learned all the doctrinal truths. And I passed the test. I studied with the elder. At the end of him, he checked the little box off. And, and when I was all done, he went to the pastor. He says, yeah, he's passed the test. He knows the doctrines. And then he said, well, do you, do you believe that Jesus is your Savior? Yes. Also, baptism is a public profession of your faith in Christ. No one told me a word about dying to self. No one said, hey, you know, baptism is, is you're going to be put to death. They just let me go right into those tanks. I believe in Jesus and I got the doctrine of truths down and I was baptized and I came up with and I went right back into my old way of life and I destroyed it. They watched me for 10 years disintegrate from 18 to 28 until at 30 I was divorced. And at the end of it, they was like, oh, what a shame. Another statistic. Well, you know, if I fell asleep at the wheel, then you was the hand that rocked the cradle. Because you forgot to tell me a very important piece of Christianity, and that's right here. You've got to check out. You've got to become dead to yourself. And not only did they not tell me that I needed to be dead to self at baptism, they surely didn't tell me that I must die, what? Every day I got to wake up. This is similar to coming to me, isn't it? But it's a little more intense. It's similar to repentance, but this is like a finality to it. This is something God is wanting to see you do in your life. To say, hey, I want to check out. I want to be dead. And if we'll do that, right? 
if I'll come to Christ, if if this is what baptism was supposed to be, me coming and saying, "Okay, I've come to you now. I want to do more. You see how God kind of easily takes us through that. You just come to me first. He doesn't tell you at first you're going to be dead. You come to me and then you find out, oh, he's asking you not just to come to me, but to be completely dead in what you used to be. And let me rebuild you and make you a new man. And so when we come to Christ and we go through these steps and we get to this place where Peter says be baptized. Paul tells us that means being put to death. Spirit of prophecy backs that up. We are going through the doorway. And when we go through the doorway, there are some beautiful and wonderful promises that await us on the other side of the doorway. When we go through the other side of the doorway, we're told in Romans 6, verse 22, that we will have a fruit unto sanctification, unto holiness. When you're dead to self, God promises that you will be sanctified and you will be a new man. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 through 13, it's where we become spiritually circumcised only when we've been committed to being put to death. In Colossians 3, verse 10, it's where we become the new man or the new woman, right? Legally, we are dead in Adam. We're in the old system. We we are dead because of what the human race has done. But when we've been put to death, we're no longer under Adam. We're under the new Adam. We become a new man. So a new life has got to come with that. In Hebrews, it's where we receive the new heart. In Galatians chapter 3, it's where we become children of God. In Galatians 4, it's where we become adopted at baptism into the family of God. He wants to see that you're going to divorce yourself from this world. Listen to this, the Christian's oath of allegiance. As Christians submit to the solemn rite of baptism, he registers the vow that they make to be true to him. This vow is their oath of allegiance. They are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They are united with the three great powers of heaven. They pledge themselves to renounce the world and to observe the laws of the kingdom. Henceforth, they are to walk in the newness of life. It is a beautiful thing. Baptism was supposed to be a death and then a newness of life. And when God saw that death commitment, he granted you a new life by pledging himself to you. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit pledged themselves to help you live out the vows that you have made to divorce yourself from the world. And somehow along the way, we thought that baptism was just saying, hey, I believe in Jesus, I accept the doctrinal truths, and then I can go back into the world. What I realized in them times, I was not really baptized. I was just really dedicated. I really didn't have a baptism. And if we fail to be put to death, 1 Corinthians is absolutely clear what happens. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. That was the tragedy of my baptism. I was there, I was open, I was willing to hear some information. I I didn't even get the chance to make the choice. No one told me about it. So spiritual things had to be spiritually discerned. Well, I wasn't spiritual. I was baptized, but I was not converted. And therefore, when the preacher would say, hey, you know, a bad temper is a bad thing. It destroys your family. It, it creates chaos. I, I just like, oh yeah, well, my, you know, my mother's Italian. They, they throw stuff. That's okay. Uh, my wife understands that about me. It was not discerned what he was trying to say. Went right over my head. Whew. When they talked about the health message, it was not discerned. It went right over my head till at 40 years old, I found myself in the hospital with, you know, pre-cancerous burning in my throat. 
When they told me, hey, you know what? You're going to end up divorced maybe one day if you don't have a relationship with your wife. Right over my head, all those wonderful topics because they were not spiritually discerned because I was still the old man. Oh, I had doctrinal truths. I could tell you all about this. I was even a Bible worker. But I was not dead. Someone left that piece of information out. That was the tragedy of my baptism. I knew nothing about dying. And we want to answer the question. I keep hearing it here at every one of our sessions. Why are we not going out? When are we going to do this? When are we going to become? Why can't we do this now? When are we going to raise up? Let's pray more. Let's pray more. Let's pray more. We need to die more. Yes, we need to pray. Yes, we need to ask the Holy Spirit. But unless you are dead to self, you are never in 10 million years want to go out and give your life for people you don't know. But if you've made this commitment to die to self, and we're going to look at actually what that means in a moment, you've just given the Holy Spirit permission to show up in a deep, deeper way. Because all these other steps, right? The Holy Spirit's out there before you're converted. He's the one drawing you to Christ. He's the one saying, come to me. He's the one being, bringing conviction. He's external in this kind of way. He's out there calling all men, bringing conviction to all men. But when you are baptized and put to death, now he shows up internally and he's working from the inside out. And it's a power, brother, sister. It's a power that comes over you when you've said, I want to be dead, God, and I want a new life altogether. He's like, "Okay, let's get it on. That's what the church needs. And you must be put to death. I tell people every, every session that comes through New Start. They come there for 18 days and I watch them. They come there all broken and sick with problems. And in 18 days, they're off their high blood pressure medicine. They're off their diabetes medicine. They're walking. Some people come in there on walkers. They're moving around. They're feeling so good. They're giving great testimonies of how God has they've lost 30 pounds. And I tell every one of them when I come to this lecture, New Start's been around for 40 years. We have thousands and thousands of testimonies. And the retention rate of what people actually go home and do is dismal. The fact is that when you leave here after these 18 days, you're going to go back out into the world. And with three months, you're going to return right back to the same lifestyle. It is statistically proven. Why? You're not dead to self. You haven't made that commitment to die. And it's the same in the spiritual realm. It's the same in your physical life. It's the same in what God's calling you to do. Unless you're dead, you're going to get all motivated here at GYC. You're going to be ready to go out into the world. And then next Monday, next week, the chances of going right back to the same mindsets are very real. Because we have a flesh. We're going to talk about that this afternoon. A nature that is relentless. And you must be dead Graveyard dead. And there's tremendous power when you're dead. Think about this. When you're dead and God asks you to do something, it's no problem, right? Because you're dead. It's only a problem when you're not dead. When the convicting power, look, if this worked right, we were all baptized into death and come up into a newness of life. And the Holy Spirit came and said, Damon, um, look, you've been doing really good. It's time to get rid of uh, cheeseburgers. Or it's, it's time to quit dressing like that. Or it's, time to lose that. or it's time to quit being upset and angry and mad at everybody. 
and I'm and I am dead to self. The Holy Spirit comes. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm dead. OK, that's what you want. But when I struggle and fight with God, it's because I'm not dead. This is the flesh welling up in me, man. The real question is, what does death look like? Because I can say dying to self. And, you know, it's, that's one of those dark speeches. Okay, dying to self, what does that mean? I like to tell you, this is what dying to self looks like. For me, anyway. Just imagine this screen was the, was the curtain between the Ark of the Covenant and the holy place. Right? And behind it was the presence of God and it just beamed and blared out over there. And then two big buttons. One said yes and one said no appeared. And God lined us all up one after another. All the way out into the hallway and said, who wants to be put to death? Who wants to be put to death and become a new man today? And we would all like, get to take our turn one right after the next. We get to walk up, hit the button. Yes, I want to be dead. I want to become a new person. And when we think of it that way, it's, that sounds like a pretty reasonable idea, right? But it works more accurately this way. Here comes my, I'm in my line right here and here comes my turn. And, and God says, Curtis Damon Sneed, he's getting ready to say, do you want to be put to death? I see I'm like second and third in line. I'm going to hit yes. And then here comes the devil. Going to be put to death today, right, brother? Yes, I'm going to be put to death. Oh, what a shame. What do you mean, what a shame? Oh, man, you know, them Texans, they're rolling, man. They're, they are probably going to go to the playoffs. And, but you know what? After you're put to death, you probably won't even care about football no more. They're like, what? What does that got to do with being put to death? I'm like, uh, okay. And well, I'm still being put to death. And, and I'm marching up here and I'm getting a little closer. And here he comes again. Sister's still going to be put to death. Yes, I'm still going to be put to death. What a shame. What a shame. Oh, you know, you're always arguing with your mom. But after this, guess what? You're probably going to always say she's right and love her and just let her get away with using you as a doormat. It doesn't matter. You're going to be put to death. Oh, and on and on he goes. You know what? Your wife is always going to be right this time. You're going to have to put that temper. You're never going to get mad no more. Uh, uh, guess what? That Texas barbecue. I've been in California for three years. Oh, but you know what? You're probably not even going to want barbecue no more. You're going to be eating tofu all the time. And, and pretty soon, you know what I start to do? <laughs> Why don't you go ahead of me? I'm not ready to make that choice. And what I have found to be true in my whole Christian life, I was never really ready to make that choice, but I had made a choice. I, I love what they say at AFCO, <laughs> right? If you're sitting on the fence, who owns the fence? The devil owns the fence. There's no neutral ground. Either you are dead or you're not dead. And when I won't make a choice to be dead because I'm afraid of what he's going to take away, well, then I've made a choice not to be dead. And I'm not a Christian. I can't be afraid of what God is going to do because what I have found is He's a tender Father. And He knows my frame. And He knows what I can handle. He knows how to stress me and push me and then back off. He knows how to put me to death. And I can trust Him with what He's going to take. There are some things that I cling to with passion. Lord, I just don't touch that. But that's exactly the way it works. He gets to come in, right? I'm... Come to him. I'm waiting for conviction. I'm waiting for repentance. I'm dead to self. And so God give you've given him permission to look at your life. All of these represent your life. What you like to wear, what you like to eat, 
the friends you hang out with, the things you watch, your spiritual habits, how do you go to church, your tithe, I mean, how you like to talk, your attitude, you just name it. It's our whole life is right here. Everything. This represents all that makes Damon Sneed, Damon Sneed. And if I'm truly dead to self, if I'm died initially and then dying daily, I'm giving God permission to come in and scoop around. And he gets to look. And he gets to say, ah, right there. Can I have this one day? I'm like, ah, yeah, why don't you put that one? I look, I get it. I'm not supposed to eat cheese no more. How about that one? No, they didn't put that. I, I need this one. Uh, but Lord, I really like that one, Lord. Well, how about let's put that one down? And look, I'm going to quit talking. I'm going to quit making her upset at me and quit always saying I'm right. I can do it. No, Damon, put that down. I want this one. And then pretty soon God's got to stop saying, Damon, are you dead? It shouldn't matter. If you're dead, it's not your life. It's my life. Are you dead? And I got to say, yeah, I'm I'm dead. Holy Spirit might be calling some of you to do some things that you've heard here. It may not be about sin at all. Holy Spirit speaking to you. Look, I know you want to go do this, but you really should go do that for one year. You really should go and, and become a You really should go to theology. You really should. I want you to do that. Lord, I love later. I got other plans. God is, is saying, sister, are you dead? Well, yes then you got to say, okay, that's what dying to self is. It's choosing to listen to Him and do those things that He's asked us to do. And it's difficult. But that's what dying looks like, right? Dying is not an easy thing. And so I would, I'd like to take this time and pause for just a second and read this to you. Because I think that some of us have never been baptized. And I want to read to you a quote from Ellen White about being dead. How important it is when we really start to realize what it means. The Lord calls for a decided reformation. And when a soul is truly reconverted, let him be rebaptized. Let him renew his covenant with God and God will renew his covenant with him. Reconversions must take place among the members that as God's witnesses they may testify to the authoritative power of the truth that sanctifies the soul. When you truly come to understand that you were never put to death, I think it is appropriate to be rebaptized. Every session I do at New Start, we've had a hundred baptisms. Of those hundred baptisms in two years, 70% of them have been rebaptisms. And most of them were Adventists that heard this and said, you know, I was never put to death. I was never properly checked out of the system. I never had that opportunity. So when you go home, your preacher might get mad. And, you know, some Adventist pastors don't like to do rebaptisms. But I, I always remind them, I went to the Caribbean and did this whole series. And over there, they don't like rebaptisms. That's for blatant, bold people that sinned and have left the church. Conference president said, look, we had like 20 people or 20 something people stand up for rebaptism. And he came down and says, no, we don't do that here. And so I shared with him this quote written by Ellen White's grandson in 1855 when she was rebaptized. And James White uh, records this. He received rebaptism to the third angel's message. And James White writes, as I raised her up out of the water, immediately she was in vision. She was baptized as a young girl. 
Didn't understand all the points of the gospel. When she understood the fullness of the third angel's message, she said, hey, I need to go be rebaptized." And so what I'm saying for you, and I know it's not something that we can do here, although I wish we could. Some of you need to go home and start over and be put to death properly. Do you know when that pastor holds you in his arms? He is a type of, of God. It is God that we're told puts us to death. It is God that lays you under the water. I mean, think how beautiful I couldn't take it no more. I was doing this lecture. I've done it probably 30 times. And finally, I told Don McIntosh at Weimar, I can't take it. I've never been really put to death. I know God's changed me. I know he's transformed me. But I have never been really properly put to death. I said, will you please rebaptize me? It was the most awesome thing because when I went under the water this time and the water was over my head, I said, I'm in the grave. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, Lord, I was praying on the water. I want to be dead completely. And when he pulled me up out of the water, it's God pulling you up and you take that breath of air. <gasps> and just like the promise is, the Holy Spirit enters internally and deep. Now, something strange happened after that. I was really disappointed. Mary knows this. I went through about three months of nonsense. I was just falling to pieces. I mean, I was worse. Than before my rebaptism, and then it dawned on me one day, this is exactly what's supposed to be happening. He was taking me down and showing me some deeper stuff, some deeper things, some pride, some self-seeking, some jealousy, some some animosities. He was showing me the deeper things, and it's exactly what He promised to do. The Holy Spirit will show up and in a deeper way take me into a deeper repentance. That's what happened to me after my after my rebaptism. In fact, the forgiveness of sins is predicated upon being dead, right? Peter does not say that you're forgiven for your sins until baptism has taken place. Until you are dead to self. And you shall receive the remission of sins. But it's a beautiful thing to know that you're a dead person and that person don't exist. I I did my son's wedding a few years back. And I was at the reception and I was in the front room with everyone else. And here come my sister-in-law. She walked up to me with two plastic cups and, you know, it wasn't Kool-Aid in them. And she said, here, Damon, she said, have a drink with me to celebrate. And I went, Leslie, I, I don't do that no more. And she went, oh, come on. You know, the old Damon. I know who you really are. That's what she said. And I looked at her, I said, no, you know who I was. And I gave her the gospel. I said, I have been put to death. That man that you knew back at 18 years old, 20, 25, 30, he's gone. He's dead. He is back there in the rearview mirror. He don't exist no more. I look at pictures of that young man with a snarled, angry face. He's dead and gone. Hallelujah. I'm giving my guilt away, like it says in Steps to Christ. I'm done with that. And the man that I was last year, he's dead and gone because I die daily. God keeps bringing things to me. Are you dead, Damon? Uh, 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 Yes, I am. And then that puts me to death again in a deeper way. And the man that I am today, you won't recognize me next year. Because I go through a daily process of dying. Therefore, I can receive something else daily. We'll talk about that after the break. And the term of this whole process that we're talking about, just all these steps that we've just discussed, has a name. And now you'll know it. 
All six of these steps is what comprises the process of being justified. This is how we receive. This is the conditions to receiving the righteousness of Christ. This is how it takes place. Right? We have what He has done. He's died. He's provided His righteousness. And then on this hand, we must be in repentance. And repentance is broke up. Just, I just broke them up so that we don't miss nothing. But this is where justification by faith takes place. This is when God says, oh, He's dead. He's a new man. He's, a, he's in the new covenant. He, he, he's under the second Adam. Cover Him with my righteousness. His sins are forgiven. But some tell me sometimes I, 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 I do counseling too over there at New Start and they'll tell me, well, I don't feel forgiven. And I tell them, your feelings got nothing to do with it. It's not about feeling forgiven. It's a promise from God. It's not about you, what you feel. God has come in and brought conviction. If you felt conviction and have responded to it, if you've turned from it in your heart and you felt the sorrow for sin and you want to be dead to self, God has forgiven you. It's people, it's Satan, it's our own distorted dysfunctions that keeps us feeling like we're not forgiven and that keeps us drugged back down into the ditch. So what about the idea of playing around with sin? Because I know that God will forgive me, right? I mean, this whole process can happen uh, over and over and over and over and over and over and over again in my life. It happens. So because I know it's going to happen over and over and over and over and over again, is it safe to say, okay, well, God will forgive me and I'll get back right with him? Let me tell you the danger in that. Even one wrong trait of character, one sinful desire, here's the key word though, persistently cherished will eventually neutralize all the power of the gospel. Every sinful indulgence strengthens the soul's aversion to God. And there are some stories in Scripture. Lot's wife, Saul, Judas, Balaam, all had one particular sin that they persistently cherished and it eventually neutralized the power of the gospel in their life till they were out of there. So it's never safe to dally and play around with things that God is calling us to get rid of and to let go. Because it has the power to strengthen our soul's aversion towards God each time we indulge it. So when the plan of salvation is working in your life, you're coming to Him. He's going to bring conviction. You turn in repentance. You die to self. And then we can receive the Spirit. And that's what we'll be talking about next. It's a well-established fact that even in the Old Testament, God didn't want them toying with sin. That's why there was two sacrifices, right? The morning and evening sacrifice. If they had fooled around and sinned after the evening sacrifice, sometime between now and the morning, God said, get up and go to the sanctuary and get rid of it. Man, confess it, put it on the lamb, get it transferred away from you into the sanctuary. If you sin between the morning sacrifice and that afternoon, there was an evening sacrifice. Don't go to bed until you've got the sin away from you. So the Holy Spirit shows up through conviction and we have the same kind of system, just not with an animal, but with Christ. We get it off of us, we confess it, but you got to be want to be dead to it. You can't want to do it. That's not being dead to it. That's called sins of presumption. And you know, in the Old Testament, it's the only sin that could not be forgiven. There was no forgiveness for a sin of presumption. 
Meaning, if I sin and say, God, forgive me, but in your heart you are planning to do it again, don't even ask. That's why Mardi Gras is so blasphemous, right? I've lived down in New Orleans for 15 years. And they're going to ask for forgiveness and then let it all hang out. This doesn't, that's not true. And you can't do that. So don't, if you want to be dead to it, then God will forgive you and He'll cleanse you. But if you don't want to die to it, but you just feel bad because you know you shouldn't have done it, you're in trouble. you got to want to be dead to it. And only God can make you want to be dead to it, right? If you're coming to Him, He'll bring the true heart sorrow for sin and you get to make that choice. Really all I'm asking you today is to realize and wrestle with baptism should have been dying to self. And if you're not dead, you might want to make that, con- that confession in your own life. I need to be dead. If I'm truly justified by faith, I will want to be dead, right? If I'm truly receiving the righteousness of Christ, if I truly am looking to Him, then there's no sin that He points out that I'll want to hang on to. It's only the flesh that wants to do that. Listen, Mead McGuire wrote this, There is no more fatal mistake than to imagine that we can live with Christ without having died with Him. Let us not pass hastily by this truth upon which hangs all our hopes of living a victorious life. It is the death with Christ which delivers us from the power of sin and the consciousness of the reality of this experience gives us confidence to share also in His life. we got to want to be dead with Him. And that's difficult for us. I'm feeling for you. Because I live right there with you. I know how the world draws me. I know how much I love to relax and chill out with Netflix. I get it. I know how food comforts me when I'm stressed out and I'm tired or I'm upset. I get it. I know how I just blow up with my temper sometimes. I get so frustrated and angry with people. I understand. But those days that I wake up and say, God, I'm yours. I want to be dead again to myself. Please let that Holy Spirit be in me to guide me, to help me. It never fails. The Holy Spirit will show up and say, Damon. Hey, do you want to be dead today or not? It's beautiful. It always works well. I'm like I'm cloud down right now because I've been at GYC praying all the time. <laughs> Lord, please let more than five people show up. They told me, oh, you're the new speaker. You're probably going to have five or six people. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Dead to self, though, Damon, right? The Holy Spirit's saying, are you worried about what? So even then, God's always working on me. He's never leaving me alone. I want to read to you something out of Desire of Ages. It's a bit. But it's about what Jesus' baptism was. We're supposed to be baptized and die as he died. But listen to this about, because we're talking about baptism. I just, just think you've got to hear this. Upon coming up out of the water, Jesus bowed in prayer on the riverbank. The Savior's glance seems to penetrate heaven as he pours out his soul in prayer. Well, he knows how sin has hardened the hearts of men and how difficult it will be for them to discern his mission. 
and accept the gift of salvation, he pleads with the Father for power to overcome their unbelief, to break the fetters with which Satan has enthralled them, and in their behalf to conquer the destroyer. He asks for the witness that God accepts humanity in the person of his Son. You hear what he's saying? God, I know they're, they're weak, they're, they're dust, they're, they're flesh, they need help. Can I help them? Give me some sign, some token from heaven that you're going to help them through me. Never before have the angels listened to such a prayer. (laughs) They are eager to bear to their loved commander a message of assurance and comfort. But no, the Father himself will answer the petition of his Son. Direct from the throne issue the beams of his glory. The heavens are opened and upon the Savior's head descends a dove-like form of purest light a fit emblem of Him, the meek and lowly one. Of the vast throng of the Jordan, few except John discern the heavenly vision. Yet the solemnity of the divine presence rested upon the assembly. The people stood silently gazing upon Christ. His form was bathed in the life that ever surrounds the throne of God. His upturned face was glorified as they had never before seen the face of man. From the open heavens, a voice was heard saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the word that was spoken to Jesus at the Jordan, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, embraces humanity. God spoke to Jesus as our representative. With all our sins and weaknesses, we are not cast aside as worthless. He hath made us accepted in the beloved. The glory that rested upon Christ is a pledge of the love of God for us. His baptism, what he went through, assures us that when we are put to death, he will show up internally in a new and powerful way to deliver you from what he knows you're going through. He knows how rough the marriage is, how tough the kids are, how hard the job is, how difficult the life is, how broken the health is. He wants to deliver and help, but you must be dead to self. And if rebaptism is not for you, then that's what communion was meant for. A miniature rebaptism. The next time you do communion, as your feet are being washed, you are being recommitted to death and to dying. Do something symbolic. I, I don't know what. Tell God if you don't want to be rebaptized, Lord, I want to be dead again. We are to take all that we are. We are to rake up all of our life, everything that symbolizes us, all the problems, everything. We are to take it and go to Jesus and say, I am out of here. I am dead. This is the gospel. This is not fanaticism. This is not some strange teaching of some independent ministry. This is some far extreme perfectionist teachings. This is Romans 6. This is Acts chapter 2. This is Steps to Christ chapter 5. This is what God is calling us to, to be dead to all that makes us us and let him deal with the issues, the life, the problem. And you'll find that when he's done, it wasn't so bad. In fact, Galatians 2 verse 20 says this, for I have been crucified with Christ. You notice it's in the passive tense. There is one way that you cannot commit suicide, and that was through crucifixion. Someone had to crucify you. And that's what Paul is saying. I am been crucified. God puts us to death and He is a tender way of doing it. He's a gentle way. He's not going to hurt me. He's going to bend me. He's going to push me, but He is not going to break me. 
It's called the divine passive, where God is in charge of your death. He knows that you don't want to let go of this cup, so he'll pull on it a little bit. He may have to put it back, but I tell you, he's going to come back to it. Because he knows what it's doing to you that you don't know. And if you have faith and trust in him, you'll let things go in your life. Because we want to take the next step tomorrow. I want to read something to you. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 1 through 5. And it doesn't seem like it does, but it has everything to do with these first six steps. Because we're told that the third angel's message is the righteousness of Christ, righteousness by faith in verity. The very six steps that we've been talking about. Not to be uh, non-inclusive of sanctification. We'll talk about that. But as far as the third angel's message goes, this is what the world needs to know. This is how we receive his righteousness to prepare us for the judgment. And that group of people that go through that judgment at the end of time that come away and they're translated without seeing death, they're described in Revelation 14 verse 1 through 5. Revelation 14. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty-four thousand, having the Father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of a loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps, and they sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the hundred and forty-four thousand who were redeemed from the earth. All right, that's our six steps. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. They are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed again from among men, being first fruits to God and to Lamb. And in their mouth was found no, your Bible will say deceit, or some will say guile, for they were without fault before the throne of God. Now, why does God pick deceit? They have no deceit. Why does he pick that one characteristics of all the characteristics that he could pick? It's a little odd, isn't it? Why, is, why not? Here are they that honor my name. Here are they that have no adultery, no killer, no murders. Why deceit? It's an interesting word. It's actually quoting Psalm 32 verse 2. And Psalm 32 verse 2 is the other penitential psalm. Where David says, the Lord will not impute iniquity to those who have no guile. Same word, remeia. And that word guile, right? The Lord will not impute iniquity, meaning he will impute his righteousness to the man that has no guile. It's the same word that's being used in Revelation 14. Here are they that have no guile. What's guile? What's deceit me? Why? Why that word? The word deceit actually is the word slackness or slothfulness or laziness. Deceit, you can see how it's kind of connected. The Paleo-Hebrew, it's, it's an image of a rope that's slack and limp. Limp, lazy hands. That's why he looked at Nathaniel and said, here is an Israelite in who there is no slothfulness. He was out praying for the consolation of Israel. Here are they that are not lazy towards the message of righteousness by faith. And that cannot mean here are they that intellectually accept it, but it means here are they that have come to me, that accept conviction, went through repentance, are dying to self. Here's the group of people at the end of time that have embraced the message of Christ and His righteousness and have went through the conditions 
In fact, Paul says it well this way in Hebrews 6 verse 18, almost the opposite of the word remeia, which means a slackness of hands, a laziness of hands. He says that we are to lay hold of Christ, to lay hold of His righteousness. It's just the opposite. It's grasping a hold of it. And I lay hold of His righteousness, not just with the belief that He'll cover me with it, but I will accept the conditions on which that righteousness is given to me. And that means I must know that I'm a sinner. I must understand my great need. I must come to Him. I must accept conviction. I must repent and be dead to self. And then I will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Become the new man, the new woman. I have no slack in me towards that. But I live all of my life, every day, every moment, every second for that. I will let nothing get in the way. Whatever He calls upon me to turn loose or turn on to, I will. If you weren't here this morning for our opening comment, we had a little early bird session where we read the great controversy. And she said, there is no more profound theme than we can reflect upon at the end of time than the judgment. We cannot be slack towards it. So we must be dead. And if we will be dead, we're going to look at our next step after lunch. Because that is what he's looking for so that another process can begin. And we're going to look at how that happens and what it actually is and what it is not. So my friends, as we have prayer, I only want you to ask this question. Are you dead? If you're not, do you want to be? If you have been dead and you haven't been dead recently, do you want to die again? Because the one thing that God does not need in His church no more is spiritual zombies. People that are supposed to be dead but are half alive. The church is filled with spiritual zombies. They're just, you know, you see them at church. They're supposed to be dead in Christ, but they're still alive. And they're a nightmare. I don't want to be that. I've got to be dead. I cannot be alive. The flesh, we've got to look at that. We're going to look at that this afternoon again. But please, come back. For now, I just want to ask you, do you want to be put to death again? Let's have prayer. Our Father in heaven, we see that this profound step number six How justification is resting on all of these things, working together, culminating in the death of self, that the forgiveness of sins and the granting of a new life can begin. Many of us, Lord, really have never been put to death. We missed that step somehow. And maybe you're not calling some of us to be rebaptized. Maybe you are when they go home, give them the courage to talk to their pastor. If they have not been put to death, Lord, and they have chose this this morning to take this crucial step, I pray that you would give all the promises of heaven that you have promised when we do this, what will happen. May you bless us in our contemplation of it. As we leave here, God, may your Holy Spirit convict and guide us in this matter that we will know your will. And if we have been put to death, if we've understood this, but we need to die again, then God, there are some here that are saying, yes, Lord, I want to die again today. And when I wake up tomorrow, I want to die again and again and again and again. 
May you bless them as well, Lord. Be with us, lead us, and guide us and direct us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.